Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. And that's Vanessa over there. Good morning. I'm Kelly. Hey guys, so glad to see you today. Uh, it is a nice, lovely pre-summer day in yeah. Pacific Northwest. So we've got the shades up on the window and we're all having a grand time. <laughs> As I see the dark clouds rolling over, uh, this will be. Well, it'll there be, you go. It'll be gone in ten minutes. Good. Yeah. Uh, the value for value model is rolling along swimmingly. Yes. And it's incredible. Uh, I just want to throw out a thanks to Andrew Byers who just recently um, sent some money our way. Thank you so much, Andrew. Also, you were asking about strange eons stuff, like the magazine and the book that's coming out. I will be giving everybody a very big update on all that as soon as I have some some real firm dates. But we've got a novella coming out and supposedly the final issue of the magazine. <laughs> I would also... Sorry. <laughs> Wait, the final issue? What? Yeah. I didn't I'll even get to ever try to contribute. I'll talk about it more when it comes, Vanessa. Aww. I'll talk about it more when it comes. Uh, I can also, write. <laughs> gigantic thanks to Jason Weiss. Do you guys know Jason Weiss? Yeah, yes. is, is yes, it Weiss? He is hosted it Weiss? a panel. Jason, if you're listening, please let us know if you are like Rachel Weiss <laughs> or just Weiss. Wait, wait, is it like the double V for like which? I is would it hope Vivi so. Oh, there Vivi you go. Weiss? Time to change that spelling. Yeah, I only got I only got to meet Jason at Crypticon once when he was doing like a John Carpenter panel that yeah. I was on. Were you on that? Vanessa? Yes, I yeah. was. And that was a blast. And uh, mm -hmm. and I like Jason a lot. And yeah. I think that uh, it would be really nice if we could all do that again sometime. Oh my so, god, yeah. Yeah. it would be I, so nice to like see Jason and uh, first of all say hi. And also, there there are such amazing people at Crypticon that I miss so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. did run into Jason at a party being held by Jason who spells his name wrong. Oh. And uh talked to him for a little while there and he's like, pretty cool. Knows his stuff, man. Yeah, well, he sure knew his stuff on that Aww. carpenter panel. Mm -hmm. Uh but Jason had then suggested maybe we all watch a movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and we did. Yeah. 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 Well, he gave us a list of what you'd probably call Ozploitation films. And we tried to find one none of us have seen, and we were able to find one that none of us have seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, with that in mind, we, we chose the movie Body Melt, or did it choose us? I think it chose us. I think it like wrapped its vines and roots out from under the earth, grabbed us, and pulled <laughs> us down into its sopping, rotting dirt. Oh, my. That's about how I felt as well. <laughs> uh, for everybody listening, Body Melt from Australia, 1993, had a budget of $124,000. Wow. But I could not find any box office information. <laughs> uh, no Rotten Tomatoes critics, but the audience hates it at 31%. <laughs> well, higher, honestly, a little That's higher than high. I thought. That's high for, <laughs> like, uh, we were talking a little bit before that... Uh, Vanessa said that this is a Vinegar Syndrome release. And if you're familiar with Vinegar Syndrome, that gives you a whole little notepad full of what this movie's probably like. Yeah. And uh, I'll be honest, it's 
a little better than a lot of the stuff Vinegar Syndrome No, for out. sure. I was actually thinking, because I almost bought this movie just based off of the premise. And I was thinking, you know what? If I had bought this, it still would have been in like the top third Vinegar Syndrome purchases sure. that yeah. I'd made. Just for quality and the fact it has any kind of plot. <laughs> so, good good work. Well, it was written and directed by Philip Brophy, who is mostly known as a musician and composer of experimental and multimedia art. Okay. This was his only feature film film. Uh, it stars a bunch of people. Gerard Kennedy, who looked very vaguely familiar to me. Vincent Gill, who was the Knight Rider in Mad Max. Um, oh. Regina Gagalis. And uh, then as I started digging into it deeply, every single person in this was on a TV show called Neighbors. Yay! <laughs> oh, okay. When neighbors become good friends. Oh, man. Okay. I so, gotta say, I have not seen this oh show. Oh, my God. It's so good. So, yeah, I think there's a little bit of humor to find that everybody in this is from a a soap opera that's been running from the 80s. And oh, okay. uh, they the cast has been put into this really gooey movie. <laughs> yeah, gooey that's a good is word pretty, for it. yeah. It's like a, a candy bar that got kind of wet and left out. <laughs> With lots of nougat. <laughs> with lots yeah. of nougat and nuts. I will say it starts with an admittedly pretty sexy scene with the uh, the the nude woman and the man. And I can't tell yeah. if they've just had sex or whatever, but then she administers a drug via needle to him and yeah. he seems very willing. And yeah. I was like, all right, I can I, hang with these people. But I thought he was like, asleep. No, I he was he looking at her. She was stroking him and, oh. I mean, stroking his stomach. <laughs> oh, okay. It's not that kind of a movie. Right. But and, it was uh, a, a, certainly a different look from the entire rest of the movie, that opening mm -hmm. scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, because yeah. I, this happened and I was like, oh, it's going to be some kind of sexy horror movie. I'm, <laughs> I'm into shit like that. Uh, and then it goes into some weird uh, Australian outback inbred family and a couple of travelers. Yes, and, yeah. And I was like, well, now where are we? What's going yeah. on? And I'll tell you this, through the entire movie, I did not understand what was going on with the Australian Oh my family. God, I'm so glad you well, said that because I was also like, I'm going to be the one person who wasn't paying enough attention no, to have understood why. I, I caught why. Okay. okay. There's a photo that one of the, the doctor who gets like his ear pulled off yes. by the guy. Those two were like, scientist partners at some point because there's a photo of the two of them that they reference being together oh, is that's this right the and he was supposed to be like the super genius one uh, the guy who in the outback yeah while the other guy just you know sort of the uh tesla to his uh newton where it's uh, or not newton <laughs> tesla to his einstein edison edison damn one of them people. But uh, that was what I got out of it, that he was the one who, if he'd still been working together, maybe they would have figured it out. Or he took a version of it early on, which is why his family was all distorted. I'm not sure what happened after, but I did get that. I think at one point, the two of them worked together. Is that because, yeah, I was wondering, because near the end, he kind of did like a smart dude speech and mm -hmm. he was playing those. This is the same guy who was playing those video games, right? And just yes. kept unwrapping. Yeah. Okay. I kind of wondered if he was somehow an assistant or somehow had worked with the guy, mm -hmm. but then I was like, no, I'm being crazy because that's no, you're right. a really tenuous. You're right. It, okay, and is there is okay is there random question? And I'm sorry, I know we haven't even talked about the basics of this film yet, but 
Is the backwater <laughs> town the same as like the cool neighborhood that you should go and live in for the awesome like health benefits club? I got the feeling it was all connected. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, yeah, I was trying to work out if there was like one half of the town that's this like crazy Hickville and the other half that's like a front side. That's that was like that was what I got to. Yeah, okay. supposed to be decommissioned. Right. Okay. Uh, thing. A couple guys early in the movie gave Greece a run for their money for supposed to look like teenagers or whatever they're supposed to be. It's like, oh, I, first I thought it was, you know, two guys sharing a house or whatever, but uh, no, they're supposed to be the kids that their parents aren't home going... Yeah, you're pushing it real far here for this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I guess the main story is the the res the residents of uh, Pebbles Court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are um, are basically they don't realize that they're being given these um, dietary supplement pills, and they are basically the um, the control group for this yes. new drug, and they don't it, realize it. It's a it's a different world when you're watching something and you just get this sample thing in the mail and you just go ahead and do it. I'm like, <laughs> it's the '90s. Yeah, man, it was a different time then. I know if I got something <laughs> randomly sent to me in the mail now, I'm leaving it alone. <laughs> Especially if it's by a company I've never heard of and I know nothing about. Yeah, <laughs> but well, it could make you buff. Well, that's just it. The <laughs> pills so claim to make you the ultimate healthy human being. And health, that health craze, man, it was. I don't remember it because I was pretty small at the time, but that was strong shit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, this feels like it's about ten years too late for the health craze, yeah. except that it is Australia. It's and, Australia, you know. Different timeline. What yeah. year did this movie come John Travolta and Olivia yeah. Newton-John already physicaled it up a decade <laughs> earlier. Um, the pills, of course, have horrible side effects. Yeah. <laughs> but there is that one great scene that felt a little bit like it was cribbed from the stand where there's the uh, the scientist that's trying to warn them he's stolen the car oh, and everything. Yeah. And yeah. then the car crashes. And a amazing tentacle out of his mouth effect that I was like, wow, this looks great. Yeah. And yeah. most of the effects did look pretty good. Yeah. yeah. No, really high quality, even though, I mean, it's a gooey movie, but yeah. some of those moments, like there's at one point, um, somebody's throat is slit oh, and yeah. like things mm-hmm. start coming out of it and then like slither back in. Oh man, that looked cool. I found myself probably three or four deaths in maybe not even that far, and it start to get that thing where you know something's about to happen. So I felt myself lying every coil of back going, what sick crap <laughs> are they going to throw at us this time? Yeah, this was definitely like the bingo checklist of what is the grossest thing I can add to this movie. There was there was a lot of liquefying flesh. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. There were some uh, interesting tongue things going oh, on. Oh, Jeez, that one woman, man. Yeah, oh. the exploding stomach was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the heads exploding. Uh, the birth of the baby, which that was... That was um, upsetting. Yeah. The part, though, but then it cracked me up when it showed the photo of the doll or whatever on the... In the closet with its oh. hair blowing all over the place because <laughs> the lady's stomach blew out. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and then uh, basically every character that you've been introduced to dies. Yeah. And we're left with a um, with a scene of the vitamins being uh, mass produced and at, yeah. available very easily at every The, the stuff kind of. Yeah. Going on there. The, I was, for most of the film, kind of going, man, that, it doesn't seem like enough people to be really, you know, like you're watching that uh, slasher and you'll see like three kids at the camp. It's like, 
you need more people, aren't you? And then that family all gets together in the car and goes to the place. Oh, there we go. (laughs) There they are. There they are. There's four more. (laughs) So literally everyone who takes it eventually dies. Am I correct? Or was there one survivor? Even the lady at the... At the place. The the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And then the guy she was trying to off by giving it... Did he eventually die too? He was. The, I think he was the first one. That he lost died. the ear, didn't he, or something like that? Oh, the scientist, yeah. the doctor, the doctor Wasn't lost the ear. The I guy, thought... the girl, the guy that she gave this shot to at the first. He was the one who went to the convenience store and. He was the one who was drinking all that talk. Okay, because yeah. I thought there was one person who they were having a conversation and they were like. Why didn't you? Why isn't he dead? I thought you said he was going to die. And she was like, Oh, like he was stronger than I thought. I didn't know he was going to be okay with the serum. <laughs> so I, I thought, I don't know. I was getting pretty lost. There was a lot of melty, gooey, explodey things going on. <laughs> as far as satire goes, and I have to mm-hmm. assume that that was the point of this, is they're making yes. a statement about the health craze and, yeah. mm-hmm. and the people who are extreme health nuts. Um, this one had, you know, pretty great effects and all of the acting was pretty decent. Oh, yeah. yeah. The acting that felt over the top felt like it was over the top on purpose. Should Absolutely. Be. So I didn't, I don't know. I just enjoyed this. The There were a couple of laugh out loud scenes for me, like when the one kid escapes from the inbred family, jumps in the truck <laughs> and then tries to drive it off the truck that they've just been driving around in circles this whole time. And yeah. it turns out that the steering wheel doesn't work and that's why it drives around in circles. Yeah. I I thought that was pretty funny and very Australian. I would have I would have yes. expected to see that in a Mad Max movie or something. And it looked like uh, when those guys, the the two older teens, were driving. It sure looked like a shot out of Mad Max. Yeah, like gone. I know there's probably a thousand streets in Australia that look like that, but I wonder if they actually went out and hey, let's shoot on Mad Max's road. No, oh, ten, fifteen years or ten, twelve years later after Max, why not? There was the one scene where the bodybuilder dude um, puts on the porn yep. and then his cock explodes. <laughs> sure. And when when that happened, I had like a, a moment of, wait, I have seen this. <laughs> really? I think that that was a scene shown in that osploitation documentary. Oh, I believe so, yeah. Oh. And because all of a sudden that happened and I was like, have I seen this? I distinctly remember this yeah. disgusting scene. I think, honestly, was there any scene that affected you more or any death that affected you more than any other? Like, for me, it was definitely the woman giving birth to the placenta that became alive and then the baby that jumped (laughs) out and, like, face-hugged her husband. Yeah, that was probably the most distressing. Mm. Uh, Watching anyone have something rip out of their body from within while they're alive and experiencing it yeah. is a is a tough one for me. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty gross. The not really partially because I think it was just I mean it made me like I said it made me cringy feeling. Yeah. But uh most of them felt more dead alive than I don't know, exorcist kind of horror. Right. So it it felt tinged with a lot of humor. Yeah. Even when it was cuz when her stomach explodes, the mm-hmm. initial part is kind of bad, but then there's just what is with the air? blowing out and like ribbons <laughs> flapping around. <laughs> so it's like, what's going on? So yeah. it was all tinged with a really dark humor yeah. that I thought yeah, was for sure. cool. I for think sure. the only one that really upset me probably was um, the kangaroo death. 
Well, they did a good job of making it definitely look like it, it is not a kangaroo. Yeah, and I think the <laughs> the idea of the way that people feel about kangaroos is mm-hmm. different in a country where they're everywhere right. and people are like, you know, constantly running into them with their cars and whatever. Like, it's more of a like, oh, it's a dead deer kind of thing. Well, there's, so, uh, have you ever seen yeah. Wake and Fright? No. It's a fantastic film. One of the, probably one of the better film, best films to come out of Australia, but it's got a very, very disturbing scene, which they tell you a warning about in the end credits. I'm like, hey, thanks. <laughs> but it's basically that they, uh, an activity that some people do is they get in their car and run down kangaroos. Yeah. So they actually filmed some people doing that. Oh my God. And put it into the movie. Oh my God. And it's very disturbing. So I think there's, I think it's both, you got a combo thing there where there's probably a lot of people that absolutely hate kangaroos and that bothers them. Then the other side where they're absolutely being protective of them. Cause this yeah. film was very much like, this is horrifying, isn't it? It's like, yeah. yes, yes it is. <laughs> so. Yeah. I guess that's, I guess that's fair. Wake and Fright was, you know, it's the seventies though. I think so it was a, a different, yeah, totally different rule set. I mean, Weekend had like a straight up pig slaughter on it, and that was like, Ew. yeah. I mean, the, yeah, it was seventies. It was a different time, <clears throat> Vanessa. <laughs> um, th- really, the only trivia that made any sense to me was that this entire film was shot over thirty days. The rest was the rest of the trivia was just um, the fact that. Brophy has done a lot of multimedia art projects and things like that. Kind of generic. Yeah. And and a lot of people saying, oh, did you know that this person was in the cast of Neighbors? Well, it turned out that like everybody Everyone. in the film was <laughs> from the cast of Neighbors at the time. <laughs> yeah. Probably one of those things there. Hey, guys, I got about this much money to spend. Let's get together and have some fun. Yeah. And we'll spend most of it on the effects. Just so you know. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, that you said that the director came from a sort of music background slash experimental um, visuals. Have either of you seen Cool as Ice? The Vanilla Ice movie? Wow, there's a... I think that's probably a first-time reference on this show. Yeah. <laughs> so, Somehow I missed that one. Yeah, no, I did, too. Okay, so <laughs> I feel like there's this period of time, and it's very much also like um, Bill and Ted 2, where there's this sort of Dutch camera, bright colors, low angles, in-your-face, over-the-top, exaggerated feel that this movie really dives into, this very 90s aesthetic, but, like, cool 90s aesthetic, that it reminded me a lot of Cool as Ice, (laughs) just from the approach. And that was also done by a music video director. And I think so is Bill and Ted, too. Maybe? Maybe I'm making that up. But I think that there's this kind of um, crossover effect that's happening. So I don't know. That was something that I kind of enjoyed about this movie was how of that moment it felt and how much it just went for it and didn't hold back. So that was kind of cool. Like I never felt like it was like, I don't know whether or not we should do this. It was always like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) I'm not quite sure why one of the muscle guys had a woman's voice dubbed in for <laughs> I kind of liked it. It was funny. But it was like, what? Okay, sure, why not? I'll say this. For $124,000, oh, they got geez. their money's worth. Because it doesn't look like a... Uh, it doesn't look like an indie film. No. You know, the the filmmaking was very competent. And I thought the acting, like I said, was also very competent. So, yeah. in the end, I'm glad that I saw this. Yeah. I don't know that I'll put it on again anytime soon. but No, no. Not unless, like... You know, we talked earlier um, at a different 
a different themed podcast of movies to put on at a party that will oh. make everyone oh. stop and go, what? <laughs> yeah. This seems like that kind of movie. That's a good point. <laughs> Just have a party. Don't tell anyone what's going on. Put it <laughs> on the background and see what happens. Is this a trauma film? No, no. Nope. This is better. Sure not. And if this intrigues you at all, or if you've seen some other stuff, man, if you haven't seen Not Quite Hollywood, highly recommended. One of my favorite documentaries about film period it is just fantastic and a whole lot of films that i've watched since that i've liked yeah. but were featured on that a lot <laughs> well i'll say this jason now uh now that you've kind of put this out there and then we watch this i'd love to get your thoughts on it is this oh yeah one of your favorite movies is this i'm gonna make these guys pay <laughs> <laughs> yeah what is this was this like torture was this like a hey guys if you have not seen this movie it's amazing like what what was the intention behind this sir yeah yeah i need <laughs> i need context i like that thinking That's yeah cool. okay hey guys what about we take a little break come back and then we're talking uh time loops hey guys why don't hey. we take a little break hey guys why don't we take a little break <laughs> Come back and talk about time. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> the Incredible Hulk meets Spider-Man. Each figure a foot tall and fully posable. All you need is a piece of string and here comes Spider-Man. Alan! This is a job for the Hulk. The Incredible Hulk with a face that's mean. Good job, handsome. The Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man from the Superhero Collection. Each sold separately by Mego. We have returned. And Vanessa, this was your subgenre pick. Yes, it was. I'm so excited. Um, I, You know, I thought I didn't like time loop films. I thought I found them really irritating and just not enjoyable and kind of boring and a little tedious. But <laughs> I've come to really love a bunch in the last couple of years yeah. to like a great, like um, Happy Death Day is one of my favorite movies of all time. Wow. Yeah. It's nice. like, if I'm not feeling good, it's now my go-to movie. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I loved Palm Springs. Um, there's, yeah. yeah, it's just been a couple really strong time loop films that I've seen recently. So, I think like maybe any genre though, if it's done well, yes, you're going to like it. Yeah. There's even some found footage films that are done well that I like. So Exactly, exactly. I think the, the concept frustrates me, but if it's executed <laughs> right, then it's well worth it. So I was I was thinking it would be really fun to like dive into a couple of instances of films that either had straight up that Groundhog's Day feel or had you know, moments that were on repeat, like in the Matrix where you see the cat go by and it's like, oh, it's deja vu. Wait, that means I'm in the Matrix. <laughs> so um, the movie that I chose for this one, it's funny because it was it was kind of put on and somebody was like, hey, do you want to like check out this film, random film, like last week after I'd already said time loop because I was definitely going to do Happy Death Day. And uh, somebody put on this movie and I realized, you know, in five minutes in, that's a time loop <laughs> movie. And I was like, and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, I think I have to talk about this movie instead. So I'm going with uh, the 2021 movie, Boss Level. Hey, Jake, can I get a large bottle of that by you? You know what? Make it two large bottles. 
How can you drink like that? I used to complain that every day felt the same. And now every day is the same. I have died 144 times when every day ends like this. But it doesn't matter. Not when you've lost everything you've loved. Venter, man who's had me killed 150 times. Power to rewrite history is mine. Heads up. I know everything that's going to happen. Put me in charge! One thing that never changes. What's up, pretty boy? Bunch of assholes are killing me for reasons that remain a mystery. I am Guan Yin, and Guan Yin has done this. I'm Zvai. 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 Roy, can you hear me? I'll explain it right now, but I'm going to need your help. Gemma? The only woman I've ever loved and who can stop this is still alive. I have to get killed. Hi, Roy. Over and over again. I save her. I need to learn how to fight with a sword. I would only have a day. I think we can get a lot done in a day. Someone's been the busiest little beaver. I'm stuck in the death loop because of you. Exactly. Bring them all on. Every last one of them. good one we're big fans yeah and you both have checked it out you both have um, Mm -hmm. seen it it's um i think i i rented it from amazon was how i i got a hold of it it's uh on hulu so i'm guessing that's how oh you know what you're right in fact i have that i have that in my facts at the very end (laughs) you're right who available on hulu guys um so it's free (laughs) um the rotten tomatoes it has a 73% from critics and a 77% from audience. I don't know what Rotten Tomatoes means in COVID times. Yeah. I don't, you know, was there a pre-screening? Was there, you know, I do know that this was screened once um, or earlier on during pandemic. Um, but budget for this, uh, $43 million. Box office, oh. $1.3 million. Yeah. So I don't, again, I don't know what that means. We're in COVID times. Um, it's, you know, streaming deal situation. I just don't understand. I I kind of wish that this had been available to see just in theaters because it's such a fun theater film. Um, it's very action oriented. Uh, the director of this, which makes sense, is Joe Carnahan, who's a director, writer, producer. Um, he's produced 27 projects, directed 17, and written 22. Um, he directed A-Team, The Grey, and he's doing the Raid remake? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I know. Why not use the guy Yeah, who did the Raid? <laughs> um, it's fine. Uh, it was, uh, he also produced a blacklist state of affairs and the 2019 point break film. And he wrote, um, this movie, uh, he also wrote death wish from 2018, narc, a team and gray. So, um, he's got, he, what do they call it? A triple threat or whatever. 
whatever, yeah. writer, producer, director. So the, and the writers, um, the additional writers on this really haven't done much of anything. There's uh, Chris Borey and Eddie Borey, who he teamed up with. I think this was originally their film and he um, took it on. Uh, they both did Boss Level as well as Open Grave. And then Eddie Borey did some other crap. <laughs> but they really, he's done four things. Chris Borey has done two. So um, they're very much new writers. Uh, starring Frank Grillo as Roy Pulver, yeah. our hero. Uh, he's been in 81 projects. You you probably recognize him and go, I don't know who this guy is, but I've definitely seen him before. <laughs> um, he did 76 episodes of a, a TV show called Guiding Light. In fact, he did a lot, of, a lot of TV. He's been in Prison Break, The Shield. He's been in some show called Kingdom in 40 episodes. Um, he also is uh, noticeably from... Avengers mm -hmm. as Brock mm -hmm. Rumlow. So that's where you're definitely going to be like, man, this guy. And uh, he was in the recently released Jiu-Jitsu. Um, which is so bad. Is it? Yeah, Nick Cage. I know. That's why I wanted oh, really? to see it. It's god awful. Oh. Damn. Dang. All right. Well, I guess if I drink enough vodka, I'll watch it. <laughs> Admittedly, you thought uh, Godzilla versus Kong was great. So you'll probably love it. You know what? You and I, <laughs> we right. either really agree or really disagree on films. There is no great middling in there. The great combining moment is crappy super action movies. Yeah. You do seem to converge <laughs> on that very regularly. <laughs> I'm glad that you're paying attention to this because I just know that sometimes he makes me mad and sometimes I'm like, he's my best friend. <laughs> so Both I have a of complex those things relationship. can be true. That's true. Ah, oh, Kelly. Um, Frank Grillo, by the way, he is a hardworking motherfucker. Yeah. He is in nine films coming out in 2021. He averages between two to five films per year. This guy fucking slams it. Yeah. So um, I am expecting to see a lot more of him in the future. I, I am worried that he just gets thug roles and just kind of rolls with it, but... He's, he's got some talent. He's also like ruggedly handsome he's and ruggedly he handsome. is in his 50s. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You can act as a guy forever. There's no limits. <laughs> um, we also have uh, Mel Gibson in this film. Um, you might remember oh, him right. <laughs> uh, from 61 films, including... Mad Mad, uh, sorry, Mad Max, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, Mad Max 3, Beyond Thunderdome, and generally being a racist and scummy human being. My, this film, My Time in the Back of a Police Car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nationally loved and All right, watched. sweet teats. What do you got to be so mean to Mel for? Oh, my God. Uh, he's also, he's kind of made a bit of a comeback or he's trying. I don't know why he's forgiven and so many other people aren't, but this guy, he just, I don't know. He's making a comeback. Um, well, he does manage to, he's kind of back ending it in a smart way. It's not like he's playing his lethal weapon characters. He now true. plays the asshole he does. in whatever movie he's in. That's true. So yeah. it's going, okay. Yeah, and he's definitely been picking some really um, strange roles, which I think helps a lot more like an indie or like a B-movie style um, approach. So he's been coming out of actor jail and starring in things <laughs> like The Beaver, Fat Man, and Expendables 3. Um, but I just need to 
I just need to say it. I was looking into like what's going on with uh, Mr. Gibson. And did you guys know that he called Winona Ryder an uh, oven dodger? Oh, Jesus. Because he hasn't matured much. How can he call her that when he doesn't believe that the Holocaust Holocaust happened? happened? I don't know. He's a complex human being. You know, it all depends on what you want to frame your current argument for you can i, I suppose you can go, so. right Just, now i believe in it but later on i won't <laughs> yeah and also like i don't know i guess i don't look at people and go they're clearly jewish like i don't know how you get that mindset but it's i don't know Ugh, whatever um <laughs> third star in this movie um the third highest ranking uh talent i should say naomi watts who's been in 89 things uh, she, you might remember as Jet Girl and Tank Girl, Francis Heffernan in Brides of Christ, Renee in The Christmas Wish, and the ad- additional voices in Babe Pig in the City. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, real, real, lots of, lots of exciting uh, roles that she's picked up. Um, also in this film, <laughs> Michelle ya- Yao. Ken Jong and Sean McKinney. So we just have out of the woodwork that you'll just be watching the film, this film and go, oh my God, wait, why are you here? <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, no wonder the budget is 43 million. Like it, it shows. It definitely yeah. shows. Um, the plot. So as soon as this movie begins, you know you're in a time loop film uh, because we start with him like 70 runs in to a time loop. A man wakes up um, to an assassin trying to uh, murder him. We go instantly into some VO where he's talking about, yep, this is my day. <laughs> I've lived it many times. Yep. Um, he he gets around the assassin. There's a helicopter that pops up outside of his bedroom window, starts shooting through, trying to get him. He um, jumps out the window. Um, a beautiful woman who's sleeping in his bed, um, obviously just a one-night stand, runs off into the distance. Um, and he jumps out the window onto a garbage truck. And he kind of leads you through his process of... Um, how he's memorized this route and how he's gotten so far. I think he gets about 45 minutes into his day before murder. So he's not made a ton of progress in all this time. He is not a fast learner, I would say. (laughs) And he's definitely the kind of guy who I think would be my experience with a time loop where sometimes you just kind of forget and fuck up. So sometimes he's like, (laughs) ah, crap, the first thing. That's right. I need to avoid the assassin who's on my bed. Dang it. Ah, geez. All right, here we go again. Um, uh, he brings you through like some of his like more torturous deaths that really were excruciating. It, it's really fun because there's a team of assassins who are after him and they all have kind of different um, things that they like to do. There's two women who ride around in this sort of van shooting at him. There's a guy with a harpoon. Um, there's a, a, a couple of dudes who just have all kinds of different personalities and it's really fun to kind of listen to his interpretation and he's given them all fun nicknames. So our lead is a um, kind of mercenary, I believe slash ex military. We learn pretty quickly on that his wife or ex-wife ex, ex-wife is it ex-wife. Is yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if they were estranged or like officially divorced. Naomi Watts, um, she's working in some high-level science tech 
Hadron Collider situation space. <laughs> um, he doesn't really put together any of those kind of obvious Lincoln logs that we <laughs> sort of all look at as an audience going, hey, wait, you should, she told you to read this thing. Why haven't you done that yet? <laughs> you are 70 runs in, sir. It's, it's definitely, it's an interesting point of view. And I, I really dig the way that they approach this because it can be monotonous so quickly. And we are yeah. fed new information as he starts to think about, hmm, maybe I should be investigating why people are killing me. And he just starts to put together these little pieces. And with each run um, through the series of run that we're following him through, he's learning little new things that change his route. So there's a couple of really neat little things in there. Like by accident, he discovers that his son, who doesn't know he is the father of, is at a like retro gaming event and um, kind of stumbles across him. And he's like, oh, like I could... I could spend some time with this guy. Um, you know, he he also decides at one point, I'm going to take down Mel Gibson, who is his ex-wife's boss, um, and uh, tries to memorize, like, that particular route of, like, okay, how do I, like, get into this, like, insane um, complex? And the first time he just kind of takes out his guns and tries to, like, walk straight in, that doesn't go well. And he's, like, <laughs> memorizing, like, okay, where the death points are along the way, like, how he can, like, circumvent things and do things quickly. So it's really fun to kind of learn with him. I, I really think you should check out this film. I'm not going to get too far into it. Um, the the only thing I'm not a huge fan of with this movie, I feel like the ending is, it's good and it works, but I also kind of wish that it didn't end the way it ended. So you'll you'll see. You wanted a little more. I wanted a little more. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I wanted that last. It's It's interesting because the movie, the stakes are you know, high because it's this guy's life. And then they suddenly are really They're high. Really and I was high. like, oh, wow, we're we're doing that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's part of why this movie doesn't get boring is because it starts off with like, okay, we don't want this guy to die. And then you realize, you know, maybe uh, some people, you know, his, his wife, ex-wife definitely dies. So he's like, oh, maybe there's a way to save her. And then his son is in trouble and maybe there's a way to save him. And then it's kind of like bigger and bigger and bigger stakes. And it's really fascinating to kind of see him try to navigate that and go, ah, how do I save everybody? How do I even fix everything? Um, it's a really funny, fun film. The writing is surprisingly good. Um, I loved his character development as well um, as he sort of starts off as kind of a idiot douchebag and then <laughs> but he he has layers and you get yeah. to see these layers you know he gets to onion um and he definitely <laughs> it, you get that transformation of becoming a better person a lot like you do in happy death day um i also there's just a couple moments i really want to point out that are just so good so at one point there's a ninja assassin woman who's after him and every time she kills him um, with her her cool swordery, she goes, <laughs> my name is Guan Yin, and Guan Yin has done this. 
And then like some <laughs> air goes through her hair every single yes. time. It's so good. And so at one point he has to battle her and he just can't get past this point without fighting her. And like shooting her isn't working. She's just so good. So he decides to learn how to become like a master swordsman. Mm -hmm. And so he gets M Michelle Yao, who like is basically just a woman in a diner that he keeps like seeing out of the corner of his eye. And so he's like, I need you to train me. My previous master uh, left me with like a little bit of info. And then the next day he's like, I know a little <laughs> bit. Could you, I, these are, this is where I'm at. And she's like, oh, okay, yes. And then he goes in again and he's like, my master is extremely good and I just need to finesse my technique. <laughs> and so by the end, he's like just such a good swordsman and he's just really battling at the same pace as this this woman, which is um, just really fucking fun. Maybe a lot more fun than learning the piano. I was going to say, it's the exact same gimmick in Groundhog's Day where yeah. Bill goes in and learns piano over the course of... Exactly, exactly. But definitely um, used to a really um, fun effect. And yeah, just like the the nice set of characters around him, including these weird assassins. Mel Gibson's character is actually, you know, just a fun D-bag. Probably the the most milky character is <laughs> Naomi Watts, unfortunately, because she's really yeah. pretty like cast into. You're like a kind of bitchy ex who like is a scientist and, you know, there's just not a lot there. But um, our lead is great. The, the things I don't like about this really boils down to one thing, which is the people who wrote this know very little to nothing about video games. I kind of think that this is a title that doesn't quite fit with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because in, yeah, it's kind of a misleading title, first of all, like you're kind of alluding to. And on top of that, like they go in, so his son's at this retro gaming event and he goes down there and like everything they're saying is wrong, <laughs> including their like Street Fighter side scrolling game. It's not. Wow. They call it um, a 16-bit game, which is not. They're using the wrong controllers. Everything is just so like committed to this idea of video gaming, but with no consultation to anyone who plays games. So yeah. it's just weird. And anyone like if you're trying to appeal to that crowd, you're just pissing people off. <laughs> the um, only one that I kind of like, okay, whatever, was the controllers because it I, felt like yeah. they just used whatever they could get that would still work. I think, and there is like, um, there is a lot of like retro um, like mods that are right. available. So you can definitely play retro games on like newer controllers. It just irritated me personally. Well, yeah, the references that we're going to try to drop knowledge and you drop incomplete, incorrect knowledge, that's definitely a problem. It like, was, mm. it was fucking frustrating. Google people. Come yeah. on, Google. It's just a little bit, just like I could figure this out in maybe 15 minutes, you know, like have all this information racked up so you can not sound like an idiot. A little bit of uh, trivia. There's not a lot of trivia on this, but uh, Frank Grillo's actual son played Rio Grillo. Um, nice. So he was, or sorry, his son Rio Grillo played his son Joe in the movie. Um, Meadow Williams, who plays a gun, uh, the gun-toting Pam, um, which is the name that uh, is given to her, also served <laughs> as executive producer on the film. Uh, Joe Carnahan, the director, is also the man eating lunch in the bar while Roy is um, trying to pull a tooth out for so some executive reason. Executive producer. So she said, 
I'll write you a giant check if you give me a role. And they lucked out that she's actually really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> I I think I think so. Cause there's definitely some like fun, like, hey crew member, do you want to like be in this movie? <laughs> I I looked up all the assassins and very few of them ha- were beyond like, you know, B-list actors or like background people. So I think it gave some really nice um room to some underused people. Yeah. Uh, May 9th, the day that's being repeated, is actually the director's birthday. <laughs> Un- unsurprising. Oh, fun, stupid fact. His coffee machine that gets blown up in the beginning? Yeah. I got the same coffee machine. Oh. <laughs> Your <laughs> coffee machine is in this movie. Are you also an executive producer? <laughs> is your coffee machine an executive yeah, I, producer? I gave like 50 bucks and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll use your coffee machine. <laughs> <laughs> if You won't be getting it back though. No. <laughs> Just I think they used about 50 of those. <laughs> um, Joe Carnahan has been trying to make this movie for years. It was originally called Continue. Uh, which is an okay title. Um, it was written by Chris Borey and Ed Borey in tw- 2010. Carnahan rewrote the script and announced in 2012 that he would direct it for 20th Century Fox. Um, he later filmed screen tests with Frank Grillo and Fox ultimately decided not to move forward with it, reportedly disagreeing with Carnahan's choice to cast Grillo as the star. Um, Carnahan later posted those same screen tests on Twitter, I think kind of as like a fuck you to <laughs> 20th century. Uh, the movie was bought by, then by Entertainment Studios Motion Pictures in April of 2018 while it was filming. It was going to be released um, in August 16th, 2019, but ended up missing this date with no new date announced. In June 2010, Entertainment Studios said that they had passed on releasing it due to um, the final product not meeting their expectations, which is fucking weird because yeah. it's a good movie. And not only that, but what'd you say it was? $43 million budget? Yeah. Um, it looks Jeez. like, you know, a gigantic summer blockbuster. Yes, it does. Yeah. And it's got, you know, star power in it. I don't know what the problem is. Um, so in November two, 2020... The U.S. distribution rights were acquired in an eight-figure deal with Hulu, and it was released March 5th, 2021, uh, available only on Hulu, of course, for obvious reasons. So it's, I mean, I love that we're in a streaming age where a movie doesn't disappear in the way that it used to. Like, this would have been shelved and never seen if, um, you know, if it hadn't been for a streamer uh, to pop in and say, fuck it, we'll put it on. Jesus, this is a great film. Yeah, I I was really disappointed after watching this for them because I felt, I love Frank Grillo. Yes. And I felt like, you know, boy, this is the movie that would have put him onto the A-list. Yeah. He would have gotten so many good roles after this. And then, you know, yay, it, it went to Hulu, but that's just not the same anymore. It's not. I'm, yeah. I agree. I really, I would have loved to have seen this movie in theaters. It would have been a really fun theater experience. Yeah. And I yeah. think it would have been a hit. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, maybe it wouldn't have been, you know, number top three, but I bet it, I wouldn't have a problem seeing it crack the top 10 box office for a year. There's no way this movie doesn't make its money back oh, times gosh, yeah. five yeah. easily. Yeah. Yep. You know, if things go wrong, that's all it does right. is a couple hundred million. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So um, that was my choice. And I cannot wait to hear what you guys picked. Good choice. I love that. Who wants to go next? Nice. Okay. Knives. Okay. You go. <laughs> okay. I go. You. Me. Whoop, whoop. 
So I'm doing Groundhog's Day because no, no, <laughs> nobody ever talks about that one for this stuff. No, no, I'm going a different route with 1998's Run Lola Run. If you're a film fan and you were around a certain world of film in 1998, you probably saw and heard about this because it was an indie huge hit. Yeah. Absolutely. But it wasn't much beyond the art house <laughs> hit. It was uh, Rotten Tomatoes is, um, again, one of the highest rated ones I may have talked about. Uh, 93 from critics and 90 from the audience. Wow. Uh, the budget was $2.1 million and the box office was $7.2 million. Okay. Sure. So it did fine, mm -hmm. but it definitely was, you know, an art house kind of film. Directed by Tom Tykfer, who's got about 20 plus credits, including Perfume, The Story of a Murderer, which is a hell of a movie. I fucking love that movie. And uh, Cloud Atlas, which less of a hell of a movie. <laughs> I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's the screenplay for Cloud Atlas and Babylon Berlin, but... Uh, I don't know that one. Babylon Berlin is on Netflix. It's a series. It's gorgeous. Oh, it's a TV. It's like a... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, stars uh, Franca, Franca Potent, who's just done a ton of German product, production. She's also been in House or Born Supremacy, House, American Horror Story, The Conjuring 2. She's all over the place. She's oh still my God. working a lot. I didn't know she made it past Born. She looks very different now. She's got long black hair. Oh, and so weird. she looks very different from the Run Lola Run out. Oh my God. I got to, yeah, I got to watch some whatever <laughs> other things. And uh, Moritz, uh, Blah Patrol, something like that. Uh, Die Gang, which is a TV show. Uh, Fandango, I've never been to New York. Oh, sorry, sir. And Herbert Knopp, who's uh, Lives of Others and 152 Other Things. So that's basically the, the cast. Other than that, it's a whole bunch of smaller repeating roles. It opens up with a philosophical moment of questions of who we are as humans and why. Asking such questions does lead to more questions. And as individuals, we run into different answers. Mm. Which actually plays out in the movie extremely well. <laughs> um, the opening credits have some kind of fun, but a little strange animation. Very uh, 
sub Hanna Barbera cartoon <laughs> level mm. animation, and then they use mugshot style images to introduce the cast. And uh, techno music is playing, which plays a lot in this movie, which was also written by Tom. Once the movie starts, it's still playing, but it kind of mutes down a little bit. And you go, okay, let's get into the movie. And it starts with uh, the two leads uh, explaining, or Lola talking to her boyfriend on the phone, and he's trying to explain what happened because she was supposed to pick him up on a moped, and the moped got like, run over or destroyed or something like that. So she didn't make it. So now he's got this money that he's supposed to, or these diamonds he's supposed to deliver to some very ni nice people. And if he doesn't make it by like 1230, they'll probably kill him. And uh, so there's three points in this movie where Lola screams. Yeah. <laughs> when she screams, shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> and so that moment, the first time she screams is a click into off and running. And uh, she's got a plan to try to get the money back. And I got to tell you a little bit, the movie puts the term lightning pace to the test. Mm. This sucker moves at an incredible pace. And uh, running, always running, she runs a lot. <laughs> the movie <laughs> runs with her. Uh, there's a, curious if Ron will feel the same way about this song as I did. At one point he decided, the director decided to need to add some lyrics of the rhythm. And I, I'm hearing this rhythm going, what the hell Prince song does it sound like? Ah. And it took a long time, but I finally got it. I know it's a series of where he's talking about a wish that goes right in with Prince's song Controversy. I'm curious if Ron's going to agree with me on that one. Hmm, <laughs> I never thought about that. And uh, the lead, uh, Lola, the actress, sings those lyrics, is saying those lyrics, apparently. Oh. So it's, uh, huh. And uh, off she goes. So what, one thing they do that's really a neat stunt that ties back into that opening quote was when she runs into... About five, maybe six people she runs into throughout the movie. And when she hits them, the movie flashbacks and does a series of stills to show what happens to them after she leaves. Right. And damn, that's cool. <laughs> it's really well done. Uh, there's another weird thing that's happening that while you're watching this, why is this going on? It's a series of a couple arguing and a film shot in a lower quality. So it, it definitely differentiates it from Lola's story. And then Eventually, she comes into that story, and you find out it's her dad arguing with um, his the, the woman he's having an affair with, and how they're going to how he's going to leave at this point, how he's going to leave Lola's wife or mom and get married to this lady or something. Uh, at this point, she's just trying to borrow money from her father, who appears like he runs a bank or works in a bank or something. That doesn't go off real well. The her boyfriend said if she doesn't arrive in time, he's going to rob this grocery store because he hears they have. Up to a half a million dollars go through their doors in a day, and he needs like a hundred thousand or something. So I said, plenty. <laughs> and uh, she arrives just at the moment where he started to rob, and there's a great scene where they're talking to each other through the window. And the director shot this going, Are people going to make fun of me? Because they're talking really low. So in real life, there's no way you'd really hear each other, mm -hmm. but it works so well in the movie. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. So it's like, who cares? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's cool. So it, we, we forgive that. And, uh, at this point, she gets a gun and doesn't know how to use the gun, and uh, he teaches her, he tells her how to turn a safety off, which actually comes into play later on. Uh, and he does not survive this particular version, and this is where it's a very different time loop film. The, um, 
there's never seems to be a definite awareness that she's repeating. She only repeats three times total. The story's only done three times. And she seems to learn a little bit each time. Or people around her figure things out about her. It's, it's very bizarre, but it's done really well. Um, this one, she starts again, and it, each time she goes back, it's the, the two of them, the couple laying in bed in the sea of red, talking about life and the robberies, various things. And she's off and running again, this time animated. <laughs> Examples of the, this, like when she sees her dad this time, or she runs into the one lady, and the story loops again, so you get to see a very different life this woman she ran into the first time has. And this time when she runs into her dad, he's trying to break up with the lady. So things change around her, which is really cool. And I tell you, once they start doing that back rebound and she runs into that person, you know that they've done the flashback or flash forward for before. There's one where she kind of misses her and they don't do one. I'm like, hey, I feel robbed. <laughs> but it, it comes back and they do. They get that. So they, they set that up and it's so interesting and so well done that every time one of those people shows up, you go, oh, cool. What's going to happen this time? Because it changes each time she runs into them. So this one has a great setup. The ending for the reel isn't quite as well done, but it's still cool. So she gets into uh, the time loop again. She screams again in a way that helps her solve a lot of her problems <laughs> with the one loud scream. Uh, it's... I don't know. I love the hell out of this film. I liked it so much. I remember liking it when it first came out. I remember thinking it was really cool. It's even better than I remembered it. So that's so much better than when you revisit an older sure. film. <laughs> it's so smart in the way it tells. Even the, even the things that are change work. It makes sense. Like there's a, a blind lady that uh, talks to the boyfriend after he's on the phone a couple times. And she indicates things to him that help him along because they're, they're not independently looping. The people she run in, into that she's looping to are also going through different things. So it's not just her interacting with the same world every time, trying to figure out what's going on. Remind me, is it explained why this is happening? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if it is, I totally missed it. But yeah, I don't think I, it I is. I remember what the reason was. Like she seems to learn things like the, she doesn't know how to turn a safety off on a gun. And another, when the second one, she's kind of robbing the bank and somebody makes a comment. So she immediately flips the safety off on the gun and knows exactly what she's doing with the gun this time. Or the guard that lets her in, oh, you finally shown up again or something. Words to that effect, he says to her. It's really, really interesting. Um, the play in ideas kind of goes against the idea of chance and will. So what it's, it's playing with the idea. What matters more? Is it our will of what we put into things or is it just chance that saves us from things? And that's what the director was experimenting with. And I think he did a really good job in the writing and directing of this, of working those two angles. And it doesn't, and it does not give you necessarily an answer. Uh, it even using her scream even sort of confuses it more. <laughs> like, was that actually doing anything or <laughs> what's going on here? It does occasionally fall into the late nineties, overly shaky cam stuff that works most of the time, but it doesn't do it enough that it becomes like, okay, enough. <laughs> uh, it won the 1999 Sundance audience award back when Sundance still kind of meant something. So that was cool. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Damn. Well, come on, man. 
It's all commercial now, quite I, literally. I can't disagree. <laughs> I can't disagree hard enough. It also won uh, Best Film at SIF, Seattle International Film Festival. Did it? Oh, my God. It's selected but not nominated as a Best Foreign Language Film. 71 Oscars, so it's kind of like a finalist. Mm. And uh, the robbery where they did the a supermarket where they did the robbery, this filmmaker spent five weeks convincing the supermarket to let them use this location. <laughs> like, I don't want you to rob us. <laughs> <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, the shot of the crowd spelling out the title of the movie at the beginning is, um, it looks like a giant crowd all forming at once. It's not. It's 300 extras each doing one letter. Oh. And they do, had to do it over time because they couldn't afford to hire the amount of people they need to do that and uh, do it in one single shot. So it's actually a composite okay. of all that. And it works really well. <clears throat> Let's see. The film contains 1,581 transitions, edits, dissolves, fades, etc. in 71 min minutes of action. So you take out the credits and the pre-credits and there's 1,500 <laughs> cuts. Wow. The average shot length is about 2.7 seconds. What's kind of interesting is in a flip of what happens with most movies nowadays, the longer it goes, the longer the shots get. Mm. So it starts off wow. faster in the beginning and slows down with those cuts as it goes on. Not that it gets <laughs> that <laughs> slow. And apparently, um, I wasn't able to find this <clears throat> the, because I didn't feel like renting the, if there's an English dubbed version, but the English dubbed version is considered one of the worst that's ever been done for a movie of its quality and budget. <laughs> then I looked, it's like when I heard that, I looked at, the, I rented, I think from Amazon, it's from, from a lot of people. And I was like, can I change? And it didn't, they didn't even have the option to oh. listen to the English dub. <laughs> uh, little side story of our favorite asshole. No, our least favorite asshole, Harvey Weinstein. Um, before he became a famous producer, Jason Blum was working at Miramax, and he had a chance to buy this movie and passed on it. And Harvey found out how, uh, after the film did incredibly successful, the, I think the $7 million was just in the U.S. I don't know what it did internationally. And uh, Harvey became enraged and threw a burning cigarette in his face. Oh, jeez. Oh, that doesn't sound like the Harvey Weinstein I know. <laughs> yeah, he should have, like, grabbed a plant and... Sure. Started masturbating hey, furiously. <laughs> yeah, totally. You got to watch um, this. They, you know how you've got those notes sometimes in IMDb, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're like, I don't think so. Mm. I like this one at the big at the end. The film and its visual style could have influenced Crank. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> Very helpful. Thanks, IMDb. What a trivia note. I like the could. <laughs> Oh man, I I love this movie. I'm so stoked that you picked it. Yeah, this was definitely one of the early films that kind of uh, I saw it way too young to watch it because my brother was really into art house cinema. So I saw like <laughs> this and Unchen Andalun and he stole my cheese or whatever. And, um, hey, that's my bike. <laughs> <laughs> the woman opened a window. Um, oh, and it just, I, I mean, it just really got uh, me interested in cinema as a whole and just really, really loved this movie. So I'm cool. so excited you picked it. That's so good. Man, Eric uh, classing the joint up with his loop movie. Jeez. <laughs> well, I went in a different direction. And I chose from 2011, Source Code. 
you guys uh budget of 32 million dollars box office of 147 million dollars worldwide the rotten tomatoes for the critics is 92 percent and the audience has it at 82 percent it was directed by duncan jones so now it all becomes clear he did before this moon after this warcraft ah no really yeah woof and in pre-production right now with Rogue Trooper. And if you are a fan of the Brit comic 2000 AD, you know what oh. Rogue Trooper is and what you have to look forward to. Oh, weird. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Duncan Jones, of course, was produced himself by David Bowie and Angie Bowie. Huh. Written by Ben Ripley, who wrote Species 3 and Species 4, the Flatliners remake. And it has oh, been announced that he has written Source Code 2. It is starring Jake Gyllenhaal from Donnie Darko, Bubble Boy, Jarhead, Zodiac, Nightcrawler, Spider-Man, Far From Home, where he played Mysterio. Uh, Michelle Monaghan from The Bourne Supremacy, the first season of True Detective, and Mission Impossible Fallout. And, to my surprise, a uh, very young-looking Vera Farmiga from The Conjuring franchise, Bates Motel, and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Have you guys seen this movie? Yeah, yeah, but not since theaters. So okay. yeah, it's, it's been, been a, forever. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, this was 2011, so it was 10 years ago you saw this movie. Wow. Yeah. And I remember liking this movie, and at the end of it, I was like, holy shit, this movie is amazing. <laughs> um, it starts off with a man waking up on a train, sitting across from a woman who we will come to find out is named Christina. The woman knows him by the name Sean, but he doesn't seem to know who he is at all. <laughs> so when she's uh, like trying to get his attention, he's not answering to his name or anything like that. And a series of events happen then very quickly. Um, Christina gets a call from her ex. 
uh, in the trivia, you'll find out that the picture that pops up on the phone is that of Duncan Jones. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, a woman walks by and spills coffee on his shoe. Uh, the train ticket taker asks for his ticket. And then after eight minutes of this, a bomb goes off on the train, killing everyone. Wow. Oh. You know how you kind of forget a movie and right. somebody says something, the whole thing just goes, whoosh. It's like, oh, there it is. <laughs> right. So then uh, the man wakes up and he finds himself kind of, um, he's strapped into this small geodesic dome. And it's kind of like a, uh, what do you call it? A sensory deprivation tank without the water. But it's got a little bit of light because we need to be able to see his face and his reactions. And he's got a little computer screen that pops on. And Vera Farmiga shows up. She's playing Corporal Goodwin. And she is a military officer and explains that he is actually Coulter Stevens, <laughs> a decorated Army helicopter pilot who is now on a mission to locate the maker of the bomb which destroyed that train. And this is to be accomplished using a program called the Source Code, which is a time loop program that allows him to take over someone's body in a reenactment of their last eight minutes of life. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a complex story, but it, mm -hmm. it tells itself very quickly. Like in the first 15 minutes, you are on board and you realize, oh, okay, he is, his mind is being projected into the body of one of the doomed passengers. So his mission in the source code is to assume the identity of Sean Fentress, like what I said, one of the train's dead passengers. He's supposed to locate the bomb, discover who detonated it, and report back to Goodwin to prevent the bomber from detonating a larger, dirty nuclear device in downtown Chicago. And he has, every time he goes back, only eight minutes to get this all figured out. And by the time he started this, we find out he's been doing this like 40 times already. And he, he's having a hard time remembering anything. But as this goes on and on, he's starting to remember more and more um, the source code's creator, who is uh, Jeffrey Wright from Westworld, he's everybody in this is uh, just a super powerful actor, and they are so good, and the story is so strong, and they're just given great dialogue and everything that it's like, fuck, you know, as a as a film geek, you're just in heaven because there's some really cool effects going on, and it's just like, wow, this is such a great movie. I, I mean, I was literally like, why don't I have popcorn in the house? What is <laughs> fucking wrong with me? <laughs> um, so uh, the creator tells him uh, that source code is not quite a simulation, but a visit into the past in the form of an alternate reality. So he cannot alter the past. It's already happened. But he is able to, once he goes in there, he thinks that he's able to because he actually gets Christina off the train with him. They, they disembark and then the train goes on and it explodes. And he has saved her, right? Except he's only got that eight minutes. So he suddenly lands back in the geodesic dome and the next time... He's back there. Even though he had saved her, she's on the train. He's in that same spot again. Mm -hmm. And so he's having all of these problems with this going, wait a second, you guys. I saved her. She's not one of the people who died. And they're like, she's on the death list. You didn't do anything. You couldn't possibly have done anything. You're not really traveling back in time. So mm -hmm. he is um, sent into the source code repeatedly. And each time that series of events repeat with variations due to how he acts to it. So pretty soon he's getting very quick at moving his foot out of the way of the girl who's going to spill the coffee on it, hands the tickets to the ticket taker very quickly, <laughs> tells um, Christina, you know, that her boyfriend is a loser and her ex and she needs <laughs> to stop worrying about him and all this stuff. And 
And he's meanwhile now checking out all the passengers and trying to figure out which one of them has the, the uh, he's pretty sure it's a phone detonator. So he's starting to look at everybody. He uh, goes in and finds out, uh, he finds the bomb. And it's a bomb that, uh, you know, he, he clearly has some kind of understanding of and realizes, okay, a phone can call into this. So I'm looking for a guy on his phone. But as this is all going on, he's, of course, falling in love with Christina. Mm. And he's, he's certain he can actually change this and, and save the people on this. He, at one point, takes a cell phone and he starts looking up stuff. And this is where the movie gets a little wonky because you're like, why is there so much information available to him? It should just be the people on the, on the train and all that, but it's not. He can use the cell phone wow. and he um, actually Googles himself and finds out that he died two months ago. He uh, confronts Vera Farmiga with this information and he learns that, yes, he had been shot down in Afghanistan and his mutilated body was appropriated by the Air Force and used to operate the source code. There have been other, um, other uh, I guess you would call them experimental soldiers, probably the same thing. We don't get to know anything about him, but we do get to know that his brain is the only one that has actually been able to do what he's doing right now, which is interact with the source code and then back to Goodwin. So he finally comes to terms with the fact that, okay, I can't change the world and all that, but I also don't like what I am, basically a brain in a jar. I mean, we get to see what he is and he's not that, but he's not much more than that. And so he says, um, if I do this, if I get this, uh, the identity of this bomber and everything, we allow me to pretend to save everybody on this oh. train and then, and then just let my time run out. I don't want to be doing this because he finds out the next thing that is scheduled to happen with him. If he succeeds, this is his mind is wiped and he's set on to the next thing, you know? Oh, so <laughs> Vanessa, does he save the day? <laughs> I can't remember. Of course he does. But that actually becomes a secondary mission for him because what he's really doing, the humanity of the story is the, uh, the explosion has already happened, right? For him, his mission is now to save this this digital group of people that he has come to uh, interact with and love and everything. I am not going to tell you exactly how it all winds up, except that it is so fucking satisfying that there were tears in my eyes. Uh, it's got a really neat little twist at the end, too, that you're like, hmm, what is going on here? It, it's just, I forgot how cool this movie was. Uh, it nails the landing. A little bit of trivia. The screenplay for this film was featured in the 2007 Blacklist. Are you guys familiar oh. with the Blacklist? Wow. Um, no. It is a list of the most liked unmade scripts ever. Oh, interesting. And so these things yeah. get passed around to people and it's become kind of a, um, kind of a unofficial contest in which a lot of the people who are reading them are studio execs and everything. And they'll just find a script and they'll be like, what the fuck? Why hasn't this been made yet? It's just yeah. an amazing film. And so they put it on the blacklist in the hopes that other producers will, oh, will grab these. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal was attached to the production before Duncan Jones. And after seeing Moon, Gyllenhaal asked that Jones be the director. So that's cool. 
Vera Farmiga stated that she took the role just at the start of her pregnancy in February of 2010, and she knew that in that scenario, <laughs> she would be unavailable for the next 10 months. She filmed all of her scenes in 10 days. Whoa. Whoa. And you only ever really see her from about the chest up. She's sitting behind a computer the whole time, and most of the time you see her is through his computer screen, so they could hide all that stuff yeah. anyway. Uh, this is the one that I thought was so interesting. The pilot episode of Quantum Leap mm -hmm. from 1989 features the main character, played by Scott Bakula, jumping into someone else's body in the past. And the episode ends with him calling and talking to his father as he is still alive at that time. In the final scene of Source Code, when the main character similarly takes advantage of being in the past to call his father, the father is voiced by Scott Bakula, <laughs> who starts off his phone conversation by saying, Oh boy. Oh my Holy God! Shit. So Which good. was, of course, his trademark line. Ah. Awesome. And I just yeah, this movie just left me feeling so good. Yeah. It's so rare to get one of these feel-good movies anymore. Mm. I was just like, fuck! I I just I was like, I win <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I win. Oh my God! Say we all all three of these had good endings. Yeah, yeah. and we all like the movies. Sorry for spoilers if you haven't. But anyways, you know one weird thing that occurred to me while you're talking about that. You know, one of the things that hit me with Possessor is I thought it felt really, really, really original. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I guess it might have borrowed an idea from this movie because that's very similar. Well, that's the episode. So that means who's choosing? Am I choosing next? I think, I think so. so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man, you guys, you're going to fucking hate me. But oh, you, right. the listener, uh, are going to love me for this. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Uh, are you guys familiar with the film director, Alan Smithy? Not on a personal level, but yes. <laughs> uh, take, take, us on a, take us on a journey. Alan Smithy is the name that directors will use on a film. They are allowed to use this by the Directors Guild if they feel oh. like the film has been taken from them and the studio has changed it in a way that uh, they are uncomfortable with or so yeah. much so that it doesn't feel like their project. Right. Okay. I'm assuming the most famous version of this is probably off the list because I think he put his name back on it. Oh, we're talking like uh, Dune. Dune. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if you do a little research on that, I think that um, that he took his name off of it they then allowed him to go back and put in a couple yeah. of things that he was okay with, and then he put his name back on it. Oh, but when okay. Dune first showed on theater screens, it was an Alan Smithy film. Uh, and I think it's high time that we do an Alan Smithy retrospective. This almost feels like a very clever applause to you, way of doing another worst films that are still <laughs> kind of what we use. Well, except that there's no guarantee these films will actually be good or so uh, bad sure. that they're good. This could just be a bunch of bad films, but I think hmm. it'll spark some nice conversation between the three of us. Yeah, I'm really excited. I haven't dug into this this corner of the... <laughs> The you film. don't have Alan Smithy at the top of your list with no. Hitchcock and yeah, other directors I, you want to see all their work from? <laughs> I vaguely remember this being a thing and then never thinking about it again. <laughs> so it'll be nice to kind of do a dive. I don't want to say a deep dive, a mild dive <laughs> into this. Well, universe. I know that there are uh, a number of films with this uh, credit on IMDb, but I don't know how many of them will actually be readily available. Yeah. And I don't know how many fit into the genre that we normally talk about. So in this case, I'm going to open it up to all genres and oh, cool. any film you want to watch and 
and get in this list. Fantastic. Any film you want to watch. <laughs> yeah, want being a strong word. That's right. Fantastic. I'm hoping I'll find a um, director who was uh, foolhardy and actually their film was very good and they just uh, don't recognize me. <laughs> good, so. luck, good luck. <laughs> it, it can happen. It, it can happen sometimes. It'll be different from this one because I think this is the first one in a while we've liked all three. All three of us have liked our picks a lot. Yeah. Right. So that probably won't be true. I'm guessing. <laughs> Next I feel like I've been shot in the leg. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, that is the show then, and that's what we're doing next week. Many thanks to everybody who's liking and sharing yeah. and participating in the value for value model, all of that stuff. We love you so much. Yes, Thank keep you. liking and sharing. Share far and wide. Tell your friends. Tell if, your friends. If you, you haven't like, yet annoyed like. your friends and family about us, keep going. <laughs> yeah, just at keep some point they'll it. tell you stop talking about Stacey on radio. Yeah, your dad's gonna go out and mow the lawn. And say, hey, dad, I have a podcast for you to listen to while you're mowing the lawn. Here you go with a nice glass of lemonade, and then we'll have a new listener. I recorded it onto cassette tape for you. You can put it on your Walkman while you're mowing the lawn. That's exactly what I envisioned in my head. So. <laughs> <laughs> those big yellow Perfect. ones that yes. Sony used to have. Or, I had one of those. Yes, me too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll be back in a week. Bye. Yep. Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and wherever find podcasts.